This is The God Show, a conversation about the human spirit with your host, Pat McMahon. Yeah, that's me, and that's you, and wherever you are, I mean anywhere in the world, you get a chance now to find out not about religions, not so much about why it is that Presbyterians do what they do and why the Hindus don't do that. Uh, More about, I'm talking about every week now, more about the spiritual quality of humanity uh, in the broadest possible sense. Sometimes we talk about the morality and immorality of war. Uh, Sometimes we talk about relationships. Sometimes we talk about raising kids. (laughs) And sometimes we talk about why it is that some folks have decided not to. Today, though, we're going to talk about not just a religion. On The God Show, we're going to be talking about a whole bunch of religions. You know, there's a uh, there's group there's group names, a flock of this and a gathering of this. There's a bunch of religions, I think, probably is about as close as I'm going to be able to come up with. But I don't have to give you the information because today we're going to be talking about the religions of the world and why it is that with few exceptions, they don't seem to be able to get along. That isn't exactly what the whole concept of faith is about. But that isn't the concept of the Arizona interfaith movement. It's a matter of gathering together a whole bunch of religions and a whole bunch of representatives of those religions, many of whom practice faiths that are dramatically different from one another, and yet somehow in this organization, this interfaith movement, they all get along and there's been very few fistfights. <laughs> that chuckle, by the way, came from one of our guests, Executive Director Reverend Larry Fultz, who's here with the business manager of the Arizona Interfaith Movement, Ann Taylor. And I've known both of them for years, have been involved with this organization in many different capacities, most of them having to do with talking, talking to audiences at dinners and talking on the radio about the Interfaith Movement. Larry, why was the AZIFM created to begin with, and when was it? Good question. Actually, it began in 1965. Dr. Paul Eppinger was the executive director of the Arizona Interfaith, or excuse me, Arizona Ecumenical Council, and um, he was asked and approached by a member of the uh, Latter-day Saints Church to become a part and partner of the Ecumenical Council. Uh, at those, in those days, um, they were not, in, and the Ecumenical Council was a Christian organization, and in those days, uh, the Christian community did not look at them as part of the Christian community, The old business about the Mormons aren't really Christians. That's it. Even though it's the, uh, the, the, the organization is called... The Latter-day Saints Saints of Jesus Christ. Of Jesus Christ, yes. (laughs) Right. So uh, this particular individual was Darl Anderson, a fantastic man, just a wonderful person. And so Paul approached me and said, Larry, let's um, 
let's start an organization that's ecum- that's not ecumenical, but it's interfaith. And um, so, in 1995, we met with six faith groups, and that began inauguration of the Arizona interfaith movement. The Catholic Church, and I'm one of those guys, we've often used the term ecumenical. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. thought that that meant a gathering and an embracing of all faiths. No, well, not actually, Pat. <laughs> it uh, was the embracing of the Christian community. Catholics, Protestants came together and did some good things. In fact, uh, uh, did some wonderful things. Two organizations have been born out of that, the Arizona Faith Network and the Arizona Interfaith Movement. Uh, Ann Taylor, uh, yes, no, I know your official title is business manager, which means that you're in charge of the enormous treasury that belongs to the Arizona Interfaith Movement, and we all giggle at that. Uh, But is it alone in the United States? Is there a a Nebraska interfaith movement? Is there one in Tennessee? You know, I'm sure there are lots of interfaith organizations around the world, but to our knowledge, we're kind of unique in that we don't uh, take on a particular cause or something like that. We just try to get together and understand each other, and then we build on the golden rule. And that seems to be relatively unusual, and and I'd never understood why. The moment you uh, brought up the golden rule to me, uh, the golden rule student of the month that you folks have recently put into Mm -hmm. uh, the organization's activities. uh, And golden rule license plates Mm -hmm. around Arizona. Mm -hmm. I can explain how that happened. Please. Yeah. So Darl Anderson was the big golden rule man. He had suspenders that said, live the golden rule. Bumper stickers that said, live the golden rule. This was a cause of his. This was a cause that was so central to him that he was known as the golden rule man. And... uh, when we first came together, it was simply just to uh, dialogue and learn more about each other's faith. But as we continued to do that, Darrell began to bring in the fact that this principle of living the golden rule is in central to most of the sacred writings of the faiths that we were uh, together with. So that was the beginning, and he introduced us to that principle, and not that we didn't know about it, but introduce us to the fact that it was uh, central to most faiths and most uh, faith groups. So that became our rallying cry and the principle upon which we dialogued with one another. One of the most memorable parts of your annual dinner that I'm fortunate enough and privileged to to emcee every year uh, is at the very beginning, the golden rule is presented to the gathering of a 1,000, sometimes 1,200 people mm-hmm. in the Mesa Convention Center <clears throat> by a variety of faiths. Mm-hmm. And it's the golden rule as they have written it over sometimes mm-hmm. centuries. Mm-hmm. What's well, remarkable, though, how similar yeah. all of the concepts are. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why, really, we took that idea that Darrell had that Larry was just talking about to the state legislature to get a a state resolution passed that would make Arizona a golden rule state. And that, it took took a lot of doing. It was not very easy to do. You'd think it would be, but it really was, it was, we had to face some challenges. We had uh, 
thank goodness we had Mark Anderson that was at the state legislature, and he went around and personally met with people and, and explained that this was a universal life principle that was central to so many different faiths. It wasn't just Christian, which, you know, a lot of people thought it was down there. And then there was the notion that, oh, if we pass it, we might have to live by it. <laughs> and, you know, so they grappled with that a little bit, and it didn't pass until uh, I think the second or third year that we were working on it. So but the universality, Anne. Yeah. The universality, Larry. The, the fact that you're talking about something that, in one way or another, virtually every culture, mm -hmm. even if they don't think of it as religious, yes. every culture has some form yeah. of the golden rule. Then why is it then that instead of do unto others as you would have them do unto you, in whatever form that mm -hmm. is spoken. Why is it that, that so many faiths just simply interpret that as do unto others and make them like it? <laughs> why, yeah. why is yeah. it that the do unto others part is the one that seems to be at the forefront? And that's why I invited both of you here, not because of the Arizona interfaith movement, but because I'd like to think that there is some kind of movement toward yeah. reciprocity and acceptance and <laughs> yes. embracing around the world, because I believe there really is. Yeah. I think so, too. Why is it misinterpreted by the faiths themselves, not just the members yeah. of the congregation? And that's the most incongruous thing that I can imagine to me, is that faith organizations, faith groups fight among, of, of all the people that ought to bring this principle to our society and... Mm -hmm. uh, ought to be the faith religious community but as you say we all have our turf we all have our territory and as a result of that uh, what happens is that they don't recognize that interfaith dialogue that's interfaith dialogue really helps sustain and strengthen our inner faith it gives us judgment it gives us an opportunity to face it squarely uh, and then it gives us an opportunity to be to solidify what we really believe inside of us. So it's always positive when we have interfaith dialogue because it really strengthens your inner faith. Well, I can hear voices. I have that gift. I can hear voices from around the world. Mm -hmm. My wife is in the world of psychology, and she thinks that there's something wrong with me because I hear voices. <laughs> but... But I, I have, have gathered unto me, doing this show now for 17, 18 years, a whole lot of voices that are saying right now, as they have for centuries, well, I agree on the interfaith concept. I think we should all get along, as long as we're Christians. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Conditional. As, no, no, as long, right. Oh, well, no, wait a minute. I shouldn't say we'll all get along and reach out to one another as long as we're Christians. Because Jesus was a Jew to begin with, so what the heck? Let's accept them, too. Because they, they were around before the Christians were. But always the condition. So that's why I'm asking you, Larry. I'm not even asking you from memory. I'm going to ask you right now to tell everyone around the world on this broadcast of The God Show, as it does say, the Star Worldwide Networks, yes. the people listening yes. to this, and they're saying, 
well, wait a minute, you mean to tell me I have to get along with them? I want you to list right now, I want you to tell everybody the 21 faiths that are included in the Arizona interfaith movement. I never, ever tell people to read a list of anything, because most <laughs> of the time it's boring. But just listen to this, folks, and then know that nobody is shut out. Go ahead, start. Well, we have Islam, Unification, Wicca, uh, LDS, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We have the Jewish faith, religious science, Baha'i Unity, SGI Buddhists, UCC, United Church of Christ, non-denominational Christians, Community of Christ, Fallen Dafa, the Sikh community, Scientology, Sufi, Hare Krishna, Hindu, Jains, and Essenes, and we even have a Baptist. Wow. Now, wait just a second. Now, you, you read that eloquently, by the way. Thank you. But you seem to be missing my crowd. Well, it's the well, Catholics. What did, what did yes. we do? What did we yes. do? Well, we, we, you're on board. Uh, you are on board as the, uh, as the Christian community. But uh, we no, do. But you have a lot of Christian groups. Yes, yeah, we do. Right. And, the Christian, and the Christian community concludes Protestants and the Catholic Church as well. So you're not leaving me out. I'm not going to leave you out, Pat. Because, you know, we've been doing this for we, a couple we, thousand years. I know you have. And actually, we stole everything we have from you. So. <laughs> <laughs> you Baptists can't be trusted. Uh, but when we're talking about that, I think that a lot of folks are looking their own and i was doing the same thing i said okay well no we have a number of christian groups on here but i don't see catholics the, right the catholics mm -hmm. and um it, it, it's Anne's fault she made the list it, <laughs> 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 the the fact that you have that many people and the fact that i've actually seen them assembled mm -hmm. in the mesa convention center that i was talking about at dinner and and in various functions and uh, activities that you folks are responsible for. Uh, I was amazed that looking out over the assemblage at that, at that huge annual dinner that you have, there were turbans, there were Roman collars, there were uh, dashikis, there's saris, yeah. mm -hmm. all of these clothing symbols. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. And everybody was having a marvelous time with one another. Mm -hmm. Why is that unique to an evening in Mesa? Because it's done intentionally, Pat. It is an intentional thing that we are trying to live out this principle with one another, realizing that if we can do that and if we don't do that, we're in difficulty in this world. Because uh, today in America... Uh, you may wake up tomorrow morning and your new neighbor that's just moved in may be of an entirely different color, an entirely different uh, religion, uh, entirely different diet. And so we're going to have to learn to respect one another's space. Haven't you given up on trying to teach people that? I mean, <laughs> I mean this kind of bigotry, this kind of bias, this kind of violence, attitudes toward one another uh, has existed seemingly as long as there's been religion. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. mm -hmm. There has. But it doesn't make you stop doing what's right. <laughs> it 
and uh, believing that we can make a path and we can make a way. And uh, so that's why we continue doing what we do and continue pushing to get more people to come on board. Because, you know, I think people forget about the Golden Rule a lot, you know, and having this event and the stories that are so inspirational, you know, people leave and they're going, wow, I didn't know that. You don't hear it on the news much. You know, we're glad to be here to be able to talk about it because it's incredible things that are pe people are doing. Yeah. And we get to hear about it there and be inspired and say, well, maybe I could do a little more of that. So do you believe then that somebody listening in Cambodia uh, right now or Syria or any other part of the world could begin this kind of a concept? Well, Absolutely. They're, they're yeah. doing it. They're doing yeah. it. Tell me about that. Every year we have the State Department sends us international scholars from around the world. They were just here a week ago. And uh, we, we teach them, we talk to them, we talk to them about how to develop interfaith movements in their countries. Sometimes it's difficult because they don't have the freedom of religion. But they begin to see a spark of how wonderful it would be if we could make this happen. And so, to me, the most I've been invited to seven different countries now this last week to come and to speak and to help them build an interfaith movement. So the Arizona interfaith movement is becoming international from the standpoint that we are helping people to go back to their own country uh, to set up this kind of a program. Do you dare to be an optimist about people do. actually getting along <laughs> even though they go to a different building on a different day and they have all yeah. kinds of different practices, yeah. and those differences have been around and expressed so often violently yeah. in so many different cultures for the beginning of time. Yeah. So and, guess, you, and guess what? what? We don't even allow proselytizing in our <laughs> in our in our uh, events. Wait, are you telling me that between tables? At that big dinner that we were talking about, there's no missionary work going not on? Not at all. No, they better no. not be. That's, that's part of what, that's, it makes us a safe space to come and talk and learn and not try to make us all alike or say, well, you're wrong and, and you need to think this way, but instead to learn a little bit more about each other and find that common ground. And there's a lot more of it than we think. Okay, but you, you were raised a Christian science. Yes. Uh, a member of the Christian science church, mm -hmm. right? Have there not been people, I, I've never asked you this, but I have to believe that in your life, even as a child, somebody didn't come up and say, wait a minute, you mean to tell me that you think that you can cure this rash that I have on my arm <laughs> because, because of your religion uh, and, and, and to make fun of mm -hmm. sure. the belief that you have? Because that's sure. kind of, of the generality yeah. that people make yeah. about it. Christian scientists. But then that's an opportunity to explain a little bit more about how, you know, that really helps us to understand and deepen our, our knowledge of God and, and how we relate to God. So it it's really opens up a, an opportunity to just talk a little bit, like Larry said, to dialogue, to increase our understanding and see where we're coming from. If those people will listen. Yes. Well, a lot of times, and they're not interested. Mm -hmm. They have their own thoughts, their own biases, their own prejudices, and they're very mm -hmm. comfortable in their own faith or lack of it. Mm -hmm. 
So what do you do about those folks? Well, that's where the art of dialogue comes in, and this is some of the, one of the things that we feel very strongly about. Uh, we have what we call experience interfaith every uh, year here in Phoenix, and the Sikh community comes in and feeds us a longar meal, which is a, a wonderful meal that they serve to uh, the people that attend. Remind everybody, by the way, not familiar with the Sikhs, uh, how that works, the dinner. Yeah. Well, uh, they just simply uh, make the food. They bring it to uh, Heritage Square here in Phoenix, where we, we hold it. And, and it's vegetarian. And it's vegetarian. Yeah. And then we, we put out mats, long mats, and we have four, five, six hundred people there. But no tables and chairs. No tables. Well, we have chairs and tables for the old folk. You know, so you, yeah, you, but no, we don't know anything. You, you'll, you'll, you'll have a table. I'll a have a mat. <laughs> I'm bringing my own mat. <laughs> Nobody likes a smart aleck Baptist. No. <laughs> I apologize. This is your show. Of course. <laughs> well, keep that in mind, and I'm going to roll my mat out now. But I want so, everybody to be able to picture yeah. this gathering of people, again, from all different walks of life yeah. and religions. So they, they sit down on our mats. Without with, their shoes. Without their shoes. And the sick community then feeds uh, the, the folk. It's a, it's a mm -hmm. service. It's a community service. It's called Sevra for the sick community. Mm -hmm. But it is serving. And they service this food uh, free of charge, no cost whatsoever. In fact, in their golden temple in India, they will serve daily 150,000, 200,000 people Langar meal every day. And so this is a thing that is really a part of the Sikh community. And they, uh, we're privileged to have a good congregation here of but the Sikhs. Part of the reason they do that is, is just embrace everybody and that yes. nobody's above anybody else in the caste system, that we're all part of that common humanity that we can care about each other and all be fed, all sit on the, the same uh, floor, all even. Okay, but... That group has also been oppressed. Mm -hmm. you, sure. you, you have a group in your organization, the Baha'i, mm -hmm. about as peaceful an organization yeah. as I know in organized religion. I say that because the, the, the basic uh, premise that the Baha'is were created for and on is that they, they accept the the rules and, and the, uh, the approaches to faith of the seven great religions of the world, mm -hmm. not that the rest of them are not great, mm -hmm. but everything is based on this premise mm -hmm. of seven, mm -hmm. seven gardens and, and uh, uh, seven religions and the recognition of all right. that comes from the Baha'i. And yet, in some countries, the Baha'i are hunted down. Yes, mm -hmm. and it's because they're... Um, in it's, it's particularly in one particular country of, of the world, uh, they they're looked upon as a threat to the government, and as a result of that, uh, their hierarchy, the Baha'i hierarchy, has been imprisoned for a number of years. It's an unfortunate thing because, as you say, they're just fabulous, wonderful people, peace-loving people of all people in the world. Uh, I just came from a Jain conference. Uh, the Jain now tell us about the Jains. Yeah, the Jains are fantastic people. Yeah. They're just the most peace-loving people in the world. J-A-I-N. J-A-I-N. And uh, they will not kill anything. 
they, in fact, their monks will take a peacock feather and brush it in front of them as they walk along, just in case there would be an ant or a bug that they would accidentally step on. They would not eat anything uh, that comes out of the ground, like a carrot or a radish, because it might, by pulling that up, it may uh, kill a bug. So they're very, very peaceful, loving people. And in years past, uh, they've been oppressed. But one of the wonderful things of history of the Jain community is that uh, during uh, one of the uh, aggressions of a particular uh, religious organization, they came in and started doing these things uh, to, the, to the Jains and decided, what's the use of doing it? They're not going to fight back anyhow. So they're not going to be oppressing to us at all. So they let them go and let them live. And it was a wonderful testimony to the way the Jains live. Why do you think religion in general seems to be in trouble? Uh, I, I say that because, while statistically I have nothing on my side, other than a great deal of reading about religions losing uh, members, mm-hmm. dramatic mm-hmm. changes. My own observation is, as you go into a Catholic church, you go into many different kinds of denominations, not just Christian. Mm-hmm. The denominations become smaller and smaller. There is less support for that congregation. Mm-hmm. And they're older. Yeah. With some exceptions, they don't seem to be regenerating themselves. I'm going to ask you both. Anne, why do you think? Boy, I wish I knew. I, I think the young people are uh, not interested in dogma or rituals as much as they are um, the goodness of each other and, and relationships and finding, you know, uh, good in, in various different traditions without necessarily being so religious but being more spiritual. And that's something we take into account for the experience interfaith because we have moderated questions after the dinner so that we can understand each other better and we're in small groups. And yet a lot of the young people that come may have either had a bad experience or they don't have an experience. They're not tied to a faith particularly. So, but they still have a very much of an interest in a, a higher being of something greater than themselves. They meditate. They want good. They want good in the world. So uh, it's just, I think we're having to rethink some things and make it fresh and... Um, you know, that's, that's kind of where I'm at with it. I, I don't have all the answers. I Larry, wish. with the rigidity of Islam and the very strict rules mm-hmm. of the faith seemingly throughout a daily activity that involves mm-hmm. faithfulness uh, to uh, being a faithful Muslim, it seems to also be the fastest growing religion of the world. Mm-hmm. That and the Latter-day Saints. Mm-hmm. Because Both of them with absolute rules. Absolute rules, yes. Then, all right, so if, if, if young people are looking for flexibility... I don't think it's so much that, Pat. Um, I think every generation has to have their own description of God. Perhaps we've done a poor job in helping them develop that. But more importantly, I think the, the hesitancy for young people today to join anything 
whether it's a church, an organization, uh, they are just not there. Uh, they're not joiners. And I think that does not necessarily mean that they are not believing in God, does not believe that they believe in a higher power. It just simply means that they can go to the forest and have a worship experience, uh, maybe more than some of us can go to the church or the temple or the synagogue, etc. So I think it's, uh, it's, uh, young people are still coming to the marketplace of ideas to learn about God and uh, spirituality. They are still spiritual beings. Yeah. I can't think yeah. of any group that I would rather ask this of than, than yours, the interfaith movement, because uh, having done this show for so many years, I thought that I had been acquainted anyway with some of the religions of the world that are not all that commonly discussed. But you folks come up with names and, and faiths that I know nothing about at all. Mm -hmm. For example, uh, is it Falun Fafa? Falun Dafa. Falun Dafa. Dafa. Chinese. It's a Chinese uh, religion, philosophy. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. And uh, is it comparable to Confucianism? Uh, no. No. Uh, it's not. Um, <laughs> is it a large faith? Uh, it, it is a large faith in China. They're being persecuted uh, because of their faith. And uh, um, it's hard to talk about it. This is an international show, so it's difficult to say. To be honest with you, Pat. Um, don't worry about making enemies because yeah. we don't give out phone numbers and addresses okay, good. of the guests. Okay, that's good. Yeah, so, but, <laughs> but they they are among... The oppressed groups. They are among the oppressed group. Let me just illustrate. Probably some of the, uh, the largest uh, traffickers in human organs comes from China. I have read about them. Yes. yes. And uh, Falun Dafa, of course, are opposed to that. And, and so uh, the Falun Dafa are very, very strict and moral. They don't drink. They don't smoke. They eat just right. So their bodies are really, organs are really pure. And so many of them are taken and killed for their organs and their bodies to ship mm. around the world. And this is the kind of thing that needs to be discussed, particularly on this kind of a program, mm. uh, because there are people around the world who probably, like me, have not been familiar with them at all. Well, we can get you in touch with uh, the people of our organization, Nick and Holly, who are terrific, and they would be happy to talk about the fallen off of uh, faith and uh, the organization on one God show for what it. What about the Essenes? The Essenes, of course. The Essenes come out of the old uh, Jewish sect. Uh, they were a strict sect. In fact, you've probably heard of the, uh, the, uh, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls. And uh, so it was the Essenes that uh, produced those. They were a select group of uh, people who were very strict very strict laws. Some people think the Apostle Paul lived with them for a while, uh, but they lived in a desert in, uh, in, uh, in Israel. But you're saying that some of them yeah. live in the oh, desert yeah. here. No, no, yeah, they are. <laughs> and they that are. they're members of your organization. Yes, they are. In fact, they are. Mm -hmm. And, and do, they, do they practice in a specific location like a temple or It's more a personal. Church? It's more personal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They have a little organization, but... 
it's more of a personal practice. You know, there are people right now, those voices again. Yeah. <laughs> there are people right now who said, wait a minute, did that Baptist guy, that, that Reverend Larry Fultz, did he say earlier when he was listing all those religions, see, they're, they're troubled about that even since that few minutes ago when you said that Wicca, the pagans, were part of the Arizona interfaith movement. And there are people very disturbed about that right now because they say, well, wait, no, that's, no, that's against everything that I believe. The witches, that's why we had Salem mm -hmm. and the burning of those, of those evil people. So you're saying to me, though, that there are members of Wicca known as pagans mm -hmm. living amongst us. Yes. Yeah, well, they're, they're golden rule partners. And they have a golden rule that is, like, big to them. I mean, they're doing good. So as long as we align with that, that's our criteria. As long as they align with yeah. us, yeah. we do not endorse any religion. We're not endorsing this as legitimate or unlegitimate, non-legitimate. We are simply saying, if you want to join us in helping us bring civility, respect, kindness, uh, empathy uh, to our religious world. Uh, we welcome you to come, and if you can follow the rules of the golden rule principle and live that out in your community and help live it out in our community, we welcome you to join us. And I'm assuming that Wicca is responsible for good things, or otherwise you wouldn't have them in your organization. Well, they've come on right. board saying they want to join us and join in what we're trying to do. See, the, the, the broad uh, diversity of, of just simply this organization, whether there's a Tennessee version of this or a North Dakota version of this, mm. uh, maybe as a result of this conversation, somebody could say, well, wait, if they could have witches... After all, that's the word that came from Wicca. Mm -hmm. If they could have witches and pagan religion, and they could have all of those Eastern philosophies, and everybody getting along and doing good things with the same kind of direction and the same kind of focus, maybe we could do it in Fargo, too. Mm -hmm. And they can. Right. But they haven't, have they? Well, some of them are doing it. There are some places that are doing it. One of the things that probably separates us from most interfaith organizations is that we do not take any kind of political positions uh, or pick up any advocacies uh, because we feel like um, if we're truly going to be building bridges of understanding, uh, there may be a faith group among us that would feel differently about a political position or an advocacy position uh, than we do. And so we're in the process of building bridges. And what can happen in that respect is that we encourage our people to go into whatever area that they feel they want to be an advocate for. Uh, there are plenty of organizations doing that. There's no organizations that's out here trying to help people learn how to live together uh, according to the golden rule. Now, Ann just a little while ago said uh, that no missionary work, no proselytizing can right. go on at any of your events. Right. Well, what other rules are there in the Arizona interfaith movement are there any 
Uh, well, besides living the golden rule and um, uh, helping us to grow that without a personal uh, agenda, you know, why we, we try to work with everybody that, um, you know, is going that same direction. Because you work with so many different religions, I get to ask you questions that I don't get to ask other people who are either representing a philosophy or a faith um, singularly. Here's one I've always wanted to know, and I'm going to ask you, Larry, as a Baptist minister. Mm -hmm. So Jesus started this Christian thing mm -hmm. a couple of thousand years ago. Yes. How come there's so many different Christian groups today in 2018, I, I have no idea how many groups fall into the general heading Christian, but well, there have to be all of those people following Jesus' rules and regulations <laughs> and, and, uh, and his way of life? Well, I can tell you there's probably 120 different kinds of Baptists. <laughs> <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> it is terrifying, Pat. And it, it, and, and it is really, uh, when you think about it, 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 it all comes back to how we interpret and then uh, how strong. It, it tells you two strong emotions that we have is our religious emotions and our political emotions. These two are so inbreded mm -hmm. and strong in us that it takes an organization like ours to help people to realize who've just simply uh, been behind a wall and never seeing or understanding any other faith to begin to realize that there are other people out here that think about things in life the same way we do. They want our children and their children to be the same as ours, and they want the best for their family like we do. They think differently religiously, but they have the same ambitions in life for their faith and for their family as we do. And so as a result of that, we've got to find a way to live in this big house together. So the Jew sitting across from the Muslim, if he's attending an event of yours mm -hmm. in Phoenix, Arizona, mm -hmm. you would expect a conciliatory relationship. Absolutely. Communication. Absolutely. And uh, respect, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. In fact, if, that's how we got our first Muslim representative was mm -hmm. from a Jewish uh, attorney mm -hmm. that brought his doctor <laughs> to one of our meetings, and it started a beautiful relationship. So. Okay, but, but why is that then? Just just move geographically, a few hours by plane, over to the area where there's a wall between Israel and the country that is not a country, Palestine. Mm -hmm. It's a country biblically, mm -hmm. but not recognized either by Israel or the majority of countries as an entity mm -hmm. by itself, right? Mm -hmm. Constant violence. In a, in a tiny, tiny geographic area, I remind everybody that Israel, every time we're talking about this, Israel's the size of Maricopa County, mm -hmm. almost exactly. So you're talking about, here it is, our hometown versus Prescott. I just got back from Israel a few weeks ago, a few months ago, and I, I can say this to you, that I was very pleased in seeing that 
there is a a large a large uh, group of Palestinians that are living very happily in the land of Israel, and uh, in fact, some of the places of the holy places for the Christians there are now uh, are are now under the control of the Muslim community or the Palestinians, and uh, I talked with some of them individually, and uh, they talked about how happy they were to live here in this place now, uh, it's much more conciliatory than it was in the past. So I think there's progress being made there. In our lifetime? I hope. Yeah. You and I only have a few years left, Pat, but we'll do what we can do to make it happen. Well, perhaps before the conservatives and the liberals get along. (laughs) Because after all, you did say those are the two categories. Yes that create more furor yes. between any two people or any two groups. Yeah. Yeah. It's the religions and your view of yeah. political issues. And here's the issue, I think, more intent than anything else that I, I think is important to say, and that is that it's religious leaders and political leaders that keep the dialogue in such a confused state. It's those leaderships, and if we can touch the leadership and get to them, uh, they're the ones that keep alive this tension oftentimes. You know, I've been talking now since the beginning of the show about them, but asking you about them and why those people don't get along with those other people. Let's acknowledge the fact that one of the most unexplainable conflicts is the troubles in Ireland. Hmm. The fact that in also another tiny land, 300 miles long and 150 miles wide, this gorgeous, beautiful country with this incredible culture and history, and the Protestant family and the Irish family, the Catholic family, both of them identical ethnically, Mm -hmm. speaking the same language, Mm having virtually the same kinds of cultural lives, and they were shooting one another Mm -hmm. only a very short time ago. Because one was a Catholic and one was a Protestant, but they're both Christians. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You try to explain that to me? I can't. There's no explanation. But that tells you what the alternative is of what we're doing. If we don't accomplish our goals, that's the alternative. Tell me this, another question that I've wanted to ask somebody for a long time. If all the churches, Christians, Jewish, Eastern faiths, everyone who has a building for the purpose of worship, and if the reason for that building is to reach out and embrace a part of the population that has no one, to embrace a population a segment of the population that needs help. Why are most of the doors of those buildings closed and locked? (laughs) Can you explain that to me with the the homeless people suffering 112 degrees in Phoenix, Arizona, because they have no place to go inside and the shelters are filled. Why is there no shelter in the chapel of the Holy whatever? Mm No, no excuse for that. And Good question. It is, it's yeah. a great question. And the, the fact remains is that we're afraid that maybe they'll get our floor dirty or uh, 
uh, they'll uh, paint will get dirty and uh, I had the same thing in my church uh, unfortunately uh, we just built a new uh, hall and uh, and so mm-hmm. I, I I got buses and I started busing these children in that were poor and and so forth and and some of my elders said, oh, we can't do that because it's going to spoil our brand new building. And I said, you know what? We'll build another one. <laughs> there was a Roman Catholic priest. <laughs> and to tell you the truth, I, I don't remember where, in what parish, somewhere in the country, and it doesn't matter. It happens, sadly, my crowd, a Roman Catholic priest that I read about just in the last couple of days that was conducting a funeral service. And it was for an African-American family. And someone, some way, somehow, as they approached the altar, knocked over the chalice. Mm. He kicked them all out of the Mm -hmm. church. Mm -hmm. He ended the service. Wow. Mm. Now, this is one man who is not to be considered representative Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of the entire premise that the Vatican (laughs) stands on as a foundation. Let me give you the counter to that. Please. Just recently, we had a Protestant church open up their doors to the Muslim community for their Ramadan. So, you know, we can cite these terrible things, and yet there is wonderful things happening in our community that takes the place of the bad and uh, makes the bad look worse, makes the, the best look better. So, we just don't always hear about it yeah, no. like we do as much of the and, and I would And I would regret anyone saying, those damn Catholics, look at what happened in that church. Because certainly it isn't representative no. probably of anyone else even in that parish among the clergy. Yeah, Yeah. One guy who blew it. We had a bad cop in Mesa that blew it. Yeah, but it yeah. doesn't mean that all the policemen are bad, and doesn't mean all the churches are bad or that faith is bad because we have a renegade uh, or loose cannon. But the fact remains is they're the ones that get all the publicity, they're the ones that get all the media. But there are some fabulous people in our community here in Arizona that are doing wonderful things on the basis of inviting other people to come in. Let me give you an illustration. One more. Uh, uh, a a Muslim uh, uh, community was being attacked. Across the street was a Nazarene church, a conservative evangelical church. These pastors came from the Nazarene church and stood in front of the Muslim mosque against the motorcycle gangs that were coming in and harassing them. So that never hit the news, but the point is that there's People who understand, who get it, that unless we begin to learn how to live together, we have the alternative of Ireland. And, and, and by the way, one of the, one of the reasons why I'm particularly interested in having uh, Reverend Larry Fultz and Taylor from the Arizona Interfaith Movement on is because of the fact that you don't just speak for your group. Don't just speak for the Baptists. You don't speak for the Christian Scientists. And Lord knows the Vatican has already warned me not to speak for my crowd. <laughs> but when, when you hear criticism of religion, I have a uh, 
Facebook. And I'd like everybody to check out the Facebook. All you have to do is go on The God Show. But the Facebook, within minutes of the time that the Facebook actually became an entity, when it came into being, Mm -hmm. within minutes, somebody wrote a scurrilous uh, response Mm -hmm. saying, what are you doing wasting my time about stupid stuff like religion? Uh So it isn't even just a matter of religions fighting with one another. It's also the people who are just simply fed up with religion who are genuinely indisposed about even discussing. Mm -hmm. What do we do about those folks who are really totally and completely removed because of some incident in their past or because they've read things that cause them to say, if God allows this to happen, I want none of it. Hmm. I don't think we argue with them, but I think we must love them. Mm -hmm. In Mm -hmm. our hearts, we've got to keep loving them and talking and just trying. And, you know, I think that good eventually has the last word, and we just... You really believe that, don't you? I do. Yeah. Love always wins. Yeah. It always does. I always say that the person across that you're dialoguing with, first of all, you have to recognize that he's your equal. And he has a right to think just as he thinks, and you have a right to think as you think. And you need to respect that person's right to think as he does. And you might disagree, but then you might also talk long enough that you don't disagree. Oh. I mean, it's, it does happen. Look out. I know. More speech know. makes good speech. Yeah. Do I get to drop a name here for just sure, a Sure, absolutely. Because I was going to anyway. Even if you didn't <laughs> <give me permission. laughs> yeah, Mother, Mother Teresa oh, bless was, was uh, in our city uh, establishing a, a tiny congregation of uh, her own sisters from Calcutta, uh, a convent. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think there were four. Mm -hmm. And it was established in a very, very humble neighborhood, Mm -hmm. in a very humble home that had been donated. And I had the thrill of being able to... uh, interview her and mm. share some time. Wow. Cool. And, I, and I'm reminded of this because her message was very much like what you were talking about. Because I said, Mother Teresa, you've just moved into this area and your sisters from Calcutta must need everything. Mm-hmm. What can we tell my radio audience that you need from them? What is the message from Mother Teresa herself. And she could ask for everything from linoleum Mm -hmm. to a package of napkins to a check. I mean, after all, the majority of people, I think, in the world of charity tend to say, well, we could always use a donation. Mm -hmm. She said instead, and I remember it vividly, here's my message for your audience. Tomorrow morning, when you get up, Go outside and find someone who has no one and love them. Mm. Oh, I love it. Wow. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pow. Yeah, it's the most powerful thing you could say. I was in wow. Skopje, Macedonia, and I went down to McDonald's because I was hungry for some American food. 
And in the middle of the street, walking down, there was a star in the middle of the street. And on that plaque, it said, this is the place where Mother Teresa was born. I stood there and I wept when I thought that I was on holy ground, a place where a saint of God just, just, it, it goes beyond religion, Pat, way beyond religion. I mean, whatever religious faith you belong to, you can't help but appreciate and admire a Mother Teresa. But there are thousands of Mother Teresas around the world who are doing things that nobody knows anything about. And at our banquet every year, we try to introduce those people so that our community knows that these kind of people exist. All of those thousands who have had their own difficulties and doubts and questions as she did, mm-hmm. and the obligation, I guess, that we all have is continue to search. Yes, yes. And keep loving. Do you think that religions, organized religions, if that's not an oxymoron, uh, if organized religions, particularly the big ones, you think that they have too much money, too many cathedrals, too many trappings, too much stuff. Uh, interesting. I was uh, in Barcelona at the Cathedral of the Familia, the, oh, the beautiful I'm cathedral. I'm blessed to have seen it. Yes. And I thought, you know, th- this is really beautiful. I mean, it really is. Uh, there's no question the architecture is, is, is supernatural, almost. But I thought, what God really wants is that this temple will be as beautiful as that temple. You're pointing at your own body. I'm pointing at myself. Yeah. What you live, what you do for others. Yeah. So the simplicity of the golden rule then, I mean, you folks didn't create that, right? This this wasn't something that you two came up with all the breakfast. It's been around for a while. (laughs) By the way, how long has it been around? I, I, I never have asked you, who wrote the original golden rule? Well, in, the, in, the, in the, the, my holy scriptures, the Bible, it was Jesus who but, said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbors yourself uh-huh. and do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But way so, back before that was Confucius. Confucius, yes. It was a, just a philosophy, but it, it was so simple and profound that religions took it on and put their words to it, but the meaning just keeps shining through. But I'm betting... That even before Confucius, there was somebody. There was somebody. I bet you're right. <laughs> Probably back in Adam and Eve somewhere. <laughs> yeah, and uh, all I can tell you is is that it's uh, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you, Pat. Uh, Thank you. It's been fun. Well, you know, and it's also been really uplifting. Good. Wait a minute. Hold on. There are those voices again, <laughs> and I don't think that it's a problem of mine. I, no, and they're saying, "Hooray for you!" because some of these folks about ready to give up. Mm. And don't you give said, up. Don't. Yeah. Find somebody to love on. Yep. And maybe you'll find more than one every week on The God Show. Hmm.